0: Stand with me and listen as we read together from 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10. He writes, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. May God be encouraged by the reading of his word. You may be seated. And as you do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that is here with us now. And I would pray that in in our time together this morning, you would teach us that our hearts, our minds, our ears would be open to receive your truth and that we would leave this place desiring to follow after you with our whole hearts, we pray. This all in Jesus' name, amen. Last words. Have you ever thought about last words? Maybe the last words that you said to someone before you left this morning, or maybe the last words before you said to someone before you went on a trip, or maybe last words that that were spoken to you or you to someone when you visited a, a missionary in another country, not knowing if you would see them again. Or maybe... Maybe last words that you shared with someone before they passed away, someone that you love. That's kind of a hard thing to think about, honestly. My mind goes to those instances where I've thought about last words that maybe I shared with someone not knowing that it was those last words. That's what this this book contains in 2 Timothy, this chapter. It's many of last words. Paul's, of Paul's words, to his dear friend, his co-labor, his son in the faith, Timothy. And so keep in mind that as we consider our text this morning, and know also that while these are Paul's last words, they also are the divinely inspired work and word of the Holy Spirit, God-breathed, it goes on to say. So these are God's words for us as well. As we come to this, this next section, and it's, it's 10 through 17, we're going to look only at verses 10 to 13 this morning. We will see a, a drastic change of subject from the previous verses from last week. Rather than talking about deceivers and the, and the downward spiral of the sinfulness of man, Paul turns and begins to talk to Timothy, to instruct him, to encourage him. And we see Paul's desire to share with Timothy some of Last things that he would desire for Timothy to not only remain faithful in, but also to grow in his godliness. I'd like for us to consider three truths or three things that will be true of someone who is growing in godliness. And I'll also add a, a takeaway or a tagline for each truth to help us remember that from the text. And so as we look at our text this morning before us, and again, we're just going to spend time expositing the passage, because oftentimes my words come and go, but the Lord's words are what, are what it teaches us and we can apply to our lives. In verses 10 through 11, we'll see the first truth that exists for one who is growing in godliness, and it is this. They will follow godly people. They will follow godly people. Look at the text. Paul writes this. He says, You, however, have followed my, and he goes on, to list nine things, nine areas of ministry for Timothy to follow. My teaching, conduct, aim in life, faith, patience, love, steadfastness, persecutions, suffering. Paul is giving encouragement to Timothy, commending to Timothy what he is already doing, ways in which he is already demonstrating godliness. But Paul is calling Timothy to follow his own life as an example for godliness, a model for faithfulness. He's saying, Timothy, you, you've seen my life, following it. This isn't something new for Timothy. He wasn't a new believer in the faith, but rather he had been following Paul for much of his life. When this text was written, ironically, as we're back in Acts in our other study Acts 15 or 16 is when Timothy probably first began to follow Paul and follow Christ. And so that was maybe 20 or so years earlier. And so Paul had known Timothy. Timothy was not—well, Timothy was still a young man. He was probably about my age, young, full of life, full of energy. So, but he, he had been in ministry for, for some time. Paul met Timothy in Lystra on a second missionary journey. And from that point on, Timothy became a lifelong disciple of Paul, joining him on on many of his quests. Paul thought highly of Timothy's ministry. In fact, he would say in other passages of Scripture, in Philippians, he would single out Timothy as one with whom he had a kindred spirit. Philippians 2.19, he would write, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, So that I too may be cheered by the news of you, for I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare. Or later, he would also write about Timothy, that he served with me in the gospel as a son with a father. Timothy had captured Paul's spirit. He had become like Paul's own son. In many ways, we could even say he was a replica, a, a miniature version of Paul. And so as Paul puts forth these nine aspects of ministry, areas of life, that he wanted Timothy to follow after, they are in direct contrast to what he just laid out in the previous verses. Let's look at them together in order. Number one, my teaching. My teaching. Paul was referring simply to the gospel. Follow my gospel, my teaching. Timothy embraced the gospel just like Paul had. He loved the gospel. He was called to teach it and proclaim it. Timothy embraced the glorious truth of Jesus, the Messiah, the one who had come, the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise, who came into the world to save sinners, he would write. It transformed Paul's life. It also transformed Timothy. And so Paul was reminding him, continue to pass this on, teaching others as I have taught you. It's a main theme of 2 Timothy, clearly. Back in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, verse 13, Paul already commanded Timothy to follow the pattern of the sound words, he writes in verse 13. The words that you have heard from me in the the faith and the love that are in Christ. In chapter 2, Paul would tell Timothy, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. This is the main theme of Paul's challenge also as we look ahead in chapter 4 where he writes to Timothy, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Teaching. Paul is saying, Timothy, you have followed my teaching. The tagline for this is keep on following, keep on learning, keep on growing, learning what it means to love the gospel. Number two, my conduct. My conduct, follow me in my conduct. Paul is simply referring to his life, his manner of living, the way that he lived, how he carried himself. It was so unlike the false teachers in verses 1 through 9. Paul didn't have a love of self, as many of the false teachers did. Instead, he did not consider his life of any account as dear to himself. He would write in Acts 20, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul didn't wasn't a lover of self. Paul didn't love have a love of money, as many of the false teachers had. Instead, as he would say in Philippians 4, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul wasn't boastful or arrogant, ungrateful or unholy or unloving. No, Paul lived a life of integrity. His conduct was in sync with his teaching. He did what he said he would do. He would say, Timothy, you have followed my teaching and my conduct. Keep on following in these things. Keep on learning in these things. Keep on growing in these things. Number three, my aim in life. Follow my aim of life my goal in life, my purpose, why I'm here. Over the years, as Timothy spent time with Paul, it was probably very evident of Paul's aim in life, Paul's goal. He wanted to follow Jesus, carry out the mission that Christ gave him. In Acts 9, Paul would say the mission was to carry the name of Christ before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul was bold. He didn't kind of tiptoe around and say, well, might there be someone there? Oh, I don't know. He went after it. He didn't shrink back from anything. In fact, Timothy was probably there when Paul was addressing the elders of the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. In verse 20, 21, Paul literally said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Later on, he would say, again, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul was bold. He had a mission. It was his goal, his purpose, his aim in life. And Paul continued this mission on until his dying day. It was his desire. He would say in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, later on, verse 7, where he would say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so the call of 2 Timothy here is for Timothy to keep on growing in godliness, to keep on serving the Lord faithfully, and to boldly proclaim the glories of the gospel. His aim in life was to proclaim the gospel to others. Timothy, he would say, you have followed my teaching, my my conduct, my aim in life. Keep on following, keep on learning, keep on growing in godliness. My faith. Paul is simply referring to his, his faith in Christ. Paul's ambition was to live a life to please Christ in all that he did. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he would say that. He was desiring to look to the things that aren't seen rather than to the things which are seen here. The eternal, not the temporal. 2 Corinthians 4. Unlike the deceivers of the church who were worldly lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That was what Paul said desired to be in his faith. Paul was a a sold-out liver and lover of God, longing for the things of God, trusting that Jesus would reward him eternally for his passion, for his faith, in spreading the gospel. He would say in 2 Timothy 4, 8, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That was Paul's heart. It was a clear evidence of his faith. Paul's saying, Timothy, you you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith. Keep on following, keep on learning, keep on growing in these things. Number five, my patience. Paul here is referring to his endurance to the trials that he faced. In 2 Timothy 2, previously he would say to Timothy, "'The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition.'" I don't know if you're like me, but when someone disagrees with me or when someone has wronged me, probably the last thing on my list is patience, gentleness, kindness, right? And so to put these two things together as one who desires to grow in godliness, having patience through trials is hard, very difficult. And we know that Paul was wronged on many occasions, probably for his boldness in sharing his faith. You see, Paul, Paul was the bearer of good news, eternally good news, the gospel. Who would not want to receive that news? In fact, he should have received the red carpet treatment as, with the news that he was sharing, but rather he was despised, rejected, persecuted. He was ridiculed, beaten, even stoned, slandered, imprisoned. And yet through it all, he was patient. Through it all, he calmly trusted in the Lord. In fact, even as he's writing this to Timothy, he is in prison, calmly awaiting his unjust execution. Timothy, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience. Keep on following Timothy. Keep on learning. Keep on growing in godliness. Number six, my love. My love. This is Paul's love for the brothers, his the agape love that is sacrificial, his love for his co-labors. Paul was a loving man. You could see it in his love for Timothy, how he would refer to him. And through this entire letter, you you could see as he, in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Timothy, my my beloved son. Chapter 2, verse 1, he addresses Timothy as my son, a, a term of endearment. At the end, he talks about longing to see you, to Timothy, an expression of love. In chapter 4, Paul would plead with Timothy that he would come soon to see me. Do your best to come to me soon. Do your best to come before winter. Longing to see his friend, his son in the faith. It's a clear demonstration of love. But Paul's reference to his love went far beyond his love for Timothy only. He had a love for all believers, which was so very evident if you knew him, if you read his letters to the churches. In Acts 20, 36, when he left the elders of the church at Ephesus at the beach at Miletus, tears were flowing freely between the men. You could read about it there in verses 36 to 38. They were Weeping as they knew they would not see each other again. It was evidence of Paul's deep, deep love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Timothy, you have followed my my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my love, my patience. Keep on following, keep on learning, keep on growing. Number seven, my steadfastness. My steadfastness. Paul's referring to his endurance in ministry. Over and over and over again, Timothy either saw or heard of Paul's steadfastness, his ability to persevere in the midst of when things were difficult. In Acts 13, 44, He was rejected by the Jews, but Paul continued right on preaching to the Gentiles instead. In Acts 14, after he was stoned and left for dead, he got up and continued his ministry. In Acts 16, while he was in prison in Philippi, he was singing praise to God. In Acts 22, when he was arrested in Jerusalem, he continued to preach to the angry mob in front of him. And while in Rome as a prisoner, he was still preaching and teaching, believing, again, that God had called him to carry his name to the the Gentiles. When things got rough, hard, even impossible, Paul was steadfast. He kept going. At one time, he would write this, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, that which Paul wrote, he lived. He carried out in the, in the thick and the thin, when it, got, when it was easy and when it was hard, he was steadfast. This pursuit of following after God. Keep on following, Timothy. Keep on learning. Keep on growing in all of these things. And then we come to the last two together. I'd like to keep them together, as sometimes they're hard to distinguish, and, and Paul elaborates on them a little bit in verse 11. They are persecutions and sufferings. Persecutions and sufferings. By these, Paul is referring to the hardships that he endured at the hands of evil men, those who would oppose the gospel. Continuing on in verse 11, you would would see he gives a little attention to those examples of sorts, of persecutions and sufferings. He writes, My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured— now, there's some things that we don't know about Paul's life, although much of it is on display in God's word. And I'm guessing even in what we see, it's only a glimpse. But in God's providence, we are made aware of some of these sufferings that he references here. they record in the book of Acts, and perhaps you remember them when Daniel preached through chapter 13 and 14 in recent months. His persecution in Antioch is recorded in chapter 13, and at the beginning of that chapter... We see the leaders of the church praying, seeking the leading of the Lord regarding what they should do. And the Holy Spirit said to them in verse 2, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so off they sailed. And the first place that they came to was Antioch. Antioch that is in Pisidia. Daniel couldn't remember. I went Pisidia, Pisidia, Pisidia. We'll call it Pisidia. When they came there, they entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. And Paul was considered at that point a visiting rabbi. And so he was invited to speak. And he preached Jesus to the congregation. And the Jews were delighted to hear what Paul had said. And it says in verse 42, the people begged that these things would be spoken to them the next Sabbath. And so the next Sabbath, Paul came back. And and the whole city, including the Gentiles, were there to hear what Paul wanted to say. And the Jews weren't as excited. They were filled with jealousy, it says. And they, they began to contradict Paul and, and blaspheme him. Eventually, the Jews instigated a, a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district, they would tell us. And we don't know exactly what that means, but I'm guessing it wasn't like a good to see you get out of here. It was, it was probably under physical threat that they had to leave the city. So that was Antioch. The next place that Paul and Barnabas left as they went there was to Iconium. And again, as they entered the synagogue and preached Jesus, some believed the Messiah, but others didn't, chapter 14 would tell us. Again, hostility began to brew against Paul and Barnabas, and an attempt was made by both Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them. When they heard about this, they fled for their lives and for their safety. That was Iconium. And then they went on to Lystra. Now Lystra, they also had a great measure of success. But the Jews heard about it and came from Antioch and Iconium following them. And, and they persuaded the crowds, it says in chapter 14, verse 19, that they persuaded the crowds, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But by God's grace, he didn't die. Instead, he was rejuvenated and got up while the disciples stood around him. I, I'm trying to picture that in my mind, right? A guy like Left for Dead and the disciples are there kind of looking at him, and, and it says he just kind of hopped right up and dusted the dust off his shoes and said, okay, let's keep on moving, boys, and... And so they, they returned to Lystra and spent the evening before moving on the next day to Derby. The next day they left for Derby. These are the things that Paul is talking about in verse 11. It didn't, it didn't keep him from sharing the gospel. He went from one city to the next, to the next, enduring the persecution, the suffering in order to advance the gospel. This wasn't pleasant. Timothy full well knew what this meant, what this looked like. And I would guess Timothy would probably as a pastor was experiencing some of these things in his own ministry as well, at least to some degree. And so Paul was being very upfront with Timothy what it would mean, what it would mean to follow after God, to grow in godliness, to follow Paul's example of at all cost sharing the gospel with the world. This is where we will see the second thing that that is true or that, that will exist for one who is growing in godliness. The first is that they will follow godly people, keep on following, keep on learning, keep on growing. The second is they will face guaranteed persecution. They will face guaranteed persecution. Look with me at verses 12 and 13. In verse 12, Paul would write, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When Paul returned home from his first missionary journey, he returned back the same way that he came, through Lystra, through Iconium, through Antioch. And as he did, it says, he was strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, even saying through through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. This kind of sounds like the promise of verse 12 we just read. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. This is kind of that promise that we don't really want to see in, on a bumper sticker or framed on a wall in your house. It's not a book title that would make a a top 10 list from a Christian publisher. You know, we would rather hear promises like God's promise of love, God's promise of forgiveness, His promise to guide and protect us. These are good, and I love these promises that are true and comforting. But there's also this hard promise to hear and to honestly to think about. And yet here it is in verse 12, front and center. Living godly in Christ will result in being persecuted. Expect it. Don't be surprised when it comes. In 1 Peter 4, Paul, or pardon me, Peter, would say, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. It's going to happen, going to come. Be ready for it. Timothy would encourage Paul would encourage Timothy to follow his persecutors of suffering, telling him continue on, finish the fight, finish the course, press on. The tagline for this would be keep on following, keep on living, keep on growing. Live for God. Don't give up. And now we come to verse 13. And again, Paul telling Timothy, okay. You may think that you have had it bad, things are rough, but well, uh, yeah, it might, it might get worse. Look at verse 13 with me. It says, While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. As bad as you have experienced with Timothy, it's probably going to get worse. So don't find your comfort in the fact that better things are yet to come in this life because, in fact, it may not be true. See, the, fir- the first thing to know is it's an eternal focus, right? It's, it's looking beyond the temporary, beyond the, the material, thinking unlike those in verses 1 through 9 that were lovers of self and lovers of pleasure and, and desiring for things upon themselves, this eternal perspective looks beyond the praise of men, beyond acceptance by them. So this leads us to the third truth that exists for one who is desiring to grow in godliness. They can fall upon God's promises. They can fall upon God's promises. Now you may have noticed that we skipped a phrase in our text. Maybe you didn't notice that and I just woke you up. But you can find comfort in this phrase that we skipped over. As we look back at verse 11, what Paul writes and he talks about my my persecutions and my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. And then he says this, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. From them all the Lord rescued me. This is the promise that God will rescue you from your trials and tribulations. Out of them all, the Lord will rescue you, Paul would say. In 4 chapter 4, verse 16 to 18, Paul would write, At my first offense, no one came to stand by me. That's what Paul writes as he thinks about the persecution, the suffering he was enduring. What's the promise? What's the end, Lord? How, how does this end for me? I, he will be brought safely into his heavenly kingdom. The, the Lord will rescue out of those things. It doesn't, it doesn't mean removed from you, taken away from you. It, it doesn't mean... If you endure this, you will receive tenfolds of of blessings or whatnot. That's that's not what the promise is. It's not a a prosperity type of exchange, right? You do this for me, you endure this, and and then the reward is going to come. That's not what the promise is. The promise is that the Lord is going to be with you and strengthen you. He's going to allow you to go through that, to learn what He desires for you to learn to live in the way that he's called you to live, to allow you to continue to grow in the way that he wants you to go. The tagline for this is is keep on following, keep on leaning, keep on growing. When life is hard, when things are difficult, when things seem impossible, the Lord calls upon us, he has promised us, we can lean upon him because he cares for us, he loves us, he will hold us up, he will rescue us. What a promise. God will rescue you. God will stand by you. God will strengthen you. He will accomplish his purpose through you and ultimately bring you safely into his kingdom. That's the promise that we have. Now maybe you're here this morning and you you hear these truths, these ways to grow in godliness. And you would say, well, I'm not on that path. Or... I'm not sure if I follow godly people, or I'm not sure if 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 I've endured persecution for my, for my faith. Boy, oh, I'm, I'm ready to claim that promise. Now, I think in order to start on this path of growing at godliness, it begins, it must begin with coming to God in faith, with acknowledging our need for a savior that only he can satisfy, that only he can fill. Because apart apart from that, all we are following is godless practices and and rituals or exercises to help us feel better about ourselves that will, in the end, lead us to nothing. And so this morning, as, as we look at these things, let me just ask, who... Who are you following this morning? Who are people in your lives that you are seeking to model your life after? To help, to use the term disciple. Someone that you have the type of relationship with where you could talk with them about things of the Lord, about how you're growing, how you're struggling, what you're learning, what you don't understand about God and his plan and his purpose and what he would desire for you. That's an easy way for us to begin to grow in godliness it also recognizes that we will face persecution and it's not it's not the whole well was that persecution i don't know that could have been no i think you're going to know right if you're living for god sold out in your life and your love for the savior man you're going to you're going to endure it there's no time like now we're in the last days as this passage is about of being in opposition towards those who would desire to follow after God. And so, if, if you're passionate about following after God, it's going to come. And so, we have to be ready for that to live for Him. But we could rest in the comfort of that we could fall upon God's grace. We're going to fail. We're going to lack faith. But God, in His grace, offers us those many other promises as well, right? Forgiveness. Love, guidance, safety. So this morning, if you have not come to the place where you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, begun on the path of growing in godliness, I would love to talk with you. I'd love to talk with you so that you could know how to grow in godliness, how to be a follower of Christ a and live faithfully in these last days. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We are thankful for your word that instructs us, that teaches us, that shows us our, our weaknesses and our, and our faults and our inadequacies. But Lord, it also shows us that there, is, that there is hope in you. There is joy in you. There is comfort that is found in you in your promises. And so this morning as we have heard your word, learned from it. May you be faithful. May you show us your faithfulness to call us yourselves and enable us for what you ask us to do. Thank you for this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a couple more songs together, and so let's stand as we do that.
1: When I fear my faith may fail, he will hold me fast. Let's sing together. My faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I can never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. Saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. But by him is such a God. has been satisfied, He will hold me fast. Race with to endless life, He will hold me fast, till our faith is turned aside.
0: Two songs at the end, how about that? People were leaving early thinking that it was, I don't know why. (laughs) Let's pray with me the prayer of benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all who would desire to grow in godliness would say, Amen.